Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. I'm choosing to be happy even though my dog is a time bomb. But hey, we appreciate you spending some time with us. Kip and Zay holding it down midday right here on Texas Sports on filtered one to three weekdays. Set an alarm in your phone. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Find us on the Texas Sports Unfiltered app. If you haven't done that already, tell your friends and enemies. Um, Zay, it's a free-for-all football Friday. What do you think about Tavondre Sweat joking around about if I lay around for a week, I gain 30 pounds? I think that's fine because he went on to say, I don't do that. You know, he's like, I, that, that, I know that I could get up to, you know, 30-something pounds, which is a little much, but him sitting on his ass, just like a lot of dudes that size, the metabolism isn't that fast. So you got to keep working. You always got to be in the lab. You got to keep training. You got to watch what you eat, all of those things that it takes to be a professional athlete at this level. And, yeah, I, I'm fine with it. You know, I think just that's Travandre Sweat's personality. If you ask anybody, the dude's a flat-out dog when it's time to strap up the helmets. But he's going to keep things light. I thought that was really important with this 2023 team. You know, you got to keep things light. Certain guys, they could be, you know, a little tight and just kind of nervous depending on the game or the situation. While you got guys like Trevondre Sweat at his size joking and cracking jokes and stuff. Like, it doesn't mean that he doesn't take it seriously. It just means that there's guys that are able to turn it on and off. And Trevondre Sweat, he's one of those dudes. So I'm glad that the media got to see his personality that we've seen these last four something years. And yeah, I, I, I wouldn't look at that as a knock on him, him saying that. I think that's just his personality. And he gets that he's a bigger guy and he understands what it takes to, you know, stay at that level, stay at that size. So he won't lose money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought, what, it's the third fastest 40 ever at the combine for a man 350 plus pounds. Um, Robert Griffin III took up for him. Robert Griffin III tweeted out that if he was, you know, a defensive back, this would be the equivalent of running, you know, a sub, what do you say, four like a four, three, six, if you're a receiver. So look, we know Tavondre Sweat is a dog and um, he he was hamming it up with the, the NFL network uh, gal who, you know, pulled him right on the field over to kind of look at the video of his workout. And he was like, oh, look at that. Oh, oh, oh. He's like, what? What great. Yeah, he's like dancing and stuff. I was like, yeah. man, this dude, he's having too much fun. She's like, what what grade would you give it? He's like, it's nice. Or yeah, I mean, he was just having fun, you know? Yeah. And Byron Murphy just knocked it out of the park. I mean, everybody came away from his workouts saying, Yeah. I mean, he's fluid. He is. We know how strong he is, and he was showing everybody how violent his hands are uh, in the bag work, but in the four bag drill where you got to, you know, kind of chop your feet through those four bags that are on the ground, that 
that drill, the scouts love that drill because it shows some lateral quickness. It shows your ability to change direction, go backwards, go forwards, um, stuff that you actually do on the field. Um, you're never going to run a 40 unless you're chasing somebody, but um, as a defensive lineman, you're probably not going to be chasing a guy all the way down the field. But I thought Byron Murphy made himself money. And just like I've been saying, I think this guy can end up in the top 10 uh, of this draft. So we'll see. We'll see how it how it goes. Um, and yeah, uh, everybody's trying to find out what happened with Jalen Ford. Me too, because the combine went off the air uh, by the time the linebackers were were working out. So we're going to have Clarence Hill from the Fort Worth Star-Telegram on, on Monday. He's at the Combine right now. Um, he's he's way too busy uh, to come on with us today. Plus, he'll be able to recap all of the workouts from the weekend as well. So we'll have, uh, we'll have all the details for you uh, on Monday. But, um, yeah, today the interviews, um, you had – uh, Adonai Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, Jonathan Brooks, and because you've got the, you know, Jatavian Sanders uh, also uh, is working out today at two o'clock. So uh, all kinds of of good stuff. Anything jump out at you, Zay, from the workouts of of Byron Murphy or or T Sweat? No, I expected both of those guys to test well. You know, when it comes to Byron Murphy, you know, a lot of the people, like his only knock is his size. But I think that's what he's going to be able to use to his advantage. I mean, obviously the name Aaron Donald comes up. And, yeah, even though he looks like him, Aaron Donald probably somewhere and be like, yo, I might be a top five defensive player of all time. Y'all need to stop comparing people to me. <laughs> I would definitely understand that. But we're just talking about your size, Aaron Donald, and what maybe Byron Murphy can be. And, yeah, just how swift he was yesterday. One of my favorite drills that those big fellas did was when they were running around the big-ass hula hoops and they were dropping the towel, and you have to drop it real slow. You can't just, like, drop right. it. You have to place it. You kept hearing the coach say, place it, place it. Yo, Byron Murphy killed that thing. Like, he's yeah. so swift with just, you know, gliding around each circle. And, yeah, I wasn't really impressed with that. Uh, another thing I was impressed with today, too, was, like, the size of JT Sanders' hands, man. Like, they're in the 10 range. Like, once you start getting double digits and mitts, like, you're thinking of guys like Kawhi Leonard and, you know, Michael Jordan just gigantic hands. And you go back to JT Sanders and that one-hand catch that he had versus Baylor earlier this season. Like, his radius is ridiculous, and a lot of teams will love that because, hey, if you got a quarterback that might be inaccurate, well, JT Sanders will cover a lot of that due to his athleticism, his hand size, and all the rest of his measurements. So, yeah, JT Sanders, he, he impressed me yesterday, even though he hasn't necessarily like tested in the drills quite yet i know that's coming up but you know one of the jokes going around social media right now is how guys are looking like presentation wise you just commented my fade the travis kelsey fade as these people are saying nowadays which that's another joke but yeah like jt sanders he came in no cut no nothing like just kind of a little nappy and stuff like that i'm like oh this dude taking it serious this ain't no beauty pageant. It ain't about that 
at all. You know what I'm saying? It's about that work. It's about getting that stock up. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got time to get no cut because you've been working. I like that. You know, everybody's talking about Caleb Williams, the same thing. Caleb Williams looked borderline homeless at the combine. This dude won the Hosman. You know, talking about him presenting himself well. Like he said, I don't care. I've been in the lab. I've been grinding. That USC team underachieved this year, Lincoln Riley. Now they're going to the Big Ten. So, yeah, I, just little things. It might be kind of just, you know, ridiculous to think of, but I, I like stuff like that. While the rest of the horns, all those dudes got dreads, like Jonathan Brooks and Xavier Worthy and, you know, T-Sweat and Byron Murphy. Those dudes got dreads. You can't count them. But, yo, if you come into the combine, man, yeah, it looks like you haven't had a cut in months, you know, beard hair everywhere and stuff like that. Oh, you locked in. You, you, you locked in, about, man. You about business. You ain't you about some- looking pretty. This ain't, again, this ain't no beauty pageant. This is NFL combine getting prepared for the NFL draft. So, yeah, JT Sanders, while, again, you look at Brock Bowers, that dude looks like he's about to start his own law firm soon. It's nuts. It's it's really weird. Brock Bowers, like I'm trying to gas myself up, like yo, this dude, right? He ain't gonna be no bust, is he? Because you look at him, it's ordinary. Like his hair is thinning. Yeah, yeah, he just looks so basic, you know. And I I don't know how he's gonna test today. We'll see. Clearly, he's been the number one, you know, tight end. In the last two seasons, he's not the same as Greg Oden, you know, where he looks old and plays old. No, I'm kidding. Brock Bowers is the truth. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. What he did for Kirby Smart this past few seasons, winning national championships. Like, I get it. But yeah, but all these. All these Texas dudes have size 10 hands. I mean, it's amazing. Sweat, Murphy, Jatavian Sanders, all are like 10, you know, 10 inch hands. And that's that measurement from here to here. Yeah. 10 inches folks. So that's, uh, that, that, uh, is impressive for a tight end as athletic as, as JT Sanders is. And we're, we're still awaiting the, um, the measurements, I guess, for the receivers, but, um, yeah, JT Sanders measured in at six, four, um, six four and two hundred. He, he is six four. He's like one inch taller than Brock Bowers. Mm-hmm. Brower, he's JT six four. Bowers six three. They're both two forty. Bowers is two forty three. JT two forty five. And um, both arm length right at just under 33 inches. So, I mean, if you're looking at measurables, JT, inch taller, bigger hands, but Bauer's a much better blocker. So that's going to be, that's going to be a, a little thing to note. Yeah. JT has look at, look, at, look at my man, Sam Laporta with the lions. Like that dude blocks and catches I mean, he's well, yeah. Like your head coach was a former tight end. That like he's definitely oh, paying attention. Hmm? Oh, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell. Yeah, he's yeah, definitely. He's he's, he's out of that Iowa 
George Kittle. I mean, Iowa is a tight end factory. Yeah, Kittle, Hawkinson. Yeah, or Hawkinson or whatever the hell his name is. Kittle, Laporta. I mean, Laporta looks like a monster. But, yeah, it's, I mean, uh, Adnan Mitchell had an interesting um, nugget. You know, they're asking all these players who at, at your school could be a, a guy for us to watch coming to the combine in the near future. And A.D. Mitchell said Jade Barron. So, Jade Xavier Worthy said Jade Barron. Huh? I heard Xavier Worthy say the same thing. Oh, was it Worthy? Maybe I messed that up. I've been about to mix it up. Yeah, I haven't seen Adonai Mitchell. Okay, Worthy said it. Worthy said it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's good. Yeah, he also said he thought he was going to come out this year, but it just didn't work out that way, and. Yeah, I mean, we thought that John A. Barron coming into the 2023 season was going to be a second-day guy. And for whatever reason, I wouldn't say he had a down year. He just didn't have the same season he had in 2022, you know. And we know he was hurt. He was supposed to be out that Houston game. And ironically enough, they needed him so much, he ends up making one of the you know, game ceiling plays at the very end on that fourth down throw. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. I got to look at pro football focus grades for Johnny Barron this past season. I mean, the Oklahoma State game, Big 12 tournament uh, championship, he struggled there. Yeah, his last the best game in the Sugar Bowl, yeah. you know, so he was the most targeted player in the Sugar Bowl 11 targets, gave up nine receptions, uh, including a touchdown, which, um, not not like him, but um, he was playing safety when he gave up the touchdown catch in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, he and Derek Williams, that was, you know, and it looked like Jade was trying to bait Penix, and he just, like, Penix threw a absolute dime and beat him. And so, yeah, it, he didn't have the finish he wanted. And I think Michael Huff told him, dude, come back and and win the Thorpe Award because yeah. you're good Where enough. My number. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, waiting to see. we're waiting to see when the new uh, spring roster comes out. If Jade's wearing uh, number seven, so it looked like it because in the yeah. video, Huff's handing him his damn jersey. Yeah. So, Which- yeah. Hey, whatever. New number, new man. We'll see. But yeah, maybe just with the more depth in the secondary is going to allow Jade to not have as many responsibilities as last year, especially with, you know, Darren Thompson was so up and down. Keaton Crawford was so up and down. Mookie Tapp had his moments. Derek Williams, you know, as good as he was, he showed that he was a freshman. Jalen Catalan didn't give you nothing because he was always on the sideline due to injury. Like Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon were doing a lot of mixing and matching, and nothing was consistent. You know, it's – you got – Brian Watts in and out due to injury, like Malik Muhammad. They started trusting them more and more as the seasons went on. We know Terrence Brooks is 
up and down. Gavin Holmes, he's good, but he's only 5'10". So hopefully coming in with this season when you got Makuba and, you know, all the rest of these guys that you brought in as freshmen, hopefully it'll let John A. Barron, who wants the responsibility, like he loves being the leader of this team in the secondary, but let's make his life a little bit easier to where he just doesn't have as many things to worry about like he did in 2023, trying to make up for everyone else. Yeah. And I wrote in the insider at horns 24 seven um, this, this week I wrote about the, uh, the transfers and, you know, Makuba and, and I, and I, you know, based on my conversations with team sources, coaches who'd either coached players or coached against them. Um, I ranked their level of impact and obviously you're going to have Isaiah Bond and Matthew Golden at the top of that list. But Andrew Makuba is a guy they really need to come through because he's he's got three years of experience at Clemson. He was dynamite as a freshman. Then he had injuries. His 2022 season wasn't great. And then in 2023, they kind of moved him around. Um, he played a lot of nickel. He started three games at safety. And I think he, you know, wanted to be on a team where he had a chance to win a championship because Clemson went, what, eight and four or nine and four. So they need him to come through. And obviously he's a, a local kid coming home. Uh, they need they need the Andrew Makuba experience to be better than the Jalen Catalan experience uh, because now Jaron Thompson's at Auburn and Keaton Crawford's gone and that safety position has been a it's been a it's been a lot of turnover let's put it that yeah. way I mean when you look at guys like uh, you know Trey Owens leaving and uh, Xavion, uh, uh, kid who went Bryce. to US. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Xavier and Bryce. Um, they had another kid named, uh, oh God, blanking on his name. The kid who transferred to, uh, USC. But anyway, I mean, it's, um, they've had a bunch of dudes. Yeah. I don't get it. And that, that position group needs to, get back to being what it was when, you know, in the early two thousands, when you had Michael Griffin and handing it off to Earl Thomas. I mean, there's too much talent in this state with seven on seven and everything else to at safety at corner for Texas to ever be lacking in talent. And I don't, I don't think they're lacking in talent at corner. I think Malik Muhammad's getting ready to be a star. Terrence Brooks just needs to be smart. Just don't, you don't need to extend your hands. You don't need to run a guy out of bounds. Just run on his hip. Um, and look, the, the great corners know how to make that look like, like it's not interference where they're, you know, trying to take away that area between the hash and the, or the, uh, the, the numbers, excuse me, the numbers and the sideline to tighten up that, that catch window for the, for the receiver, but you can't, 
be obvious about it. You can't just run him out of bounds. Oh, my God. That one in Oklahoma, last drive of the game, where the Sooners went five plays, 75 yards, that was the one that I won't forget for a very long time. You know, just get your hands off, as you were saying. And, yeah, I'm a guy that I'm expecting to have a good season that did two years ago in 2022, but ended up getting hurt that year. We didn't see him much. Then we didn't see him much this year. Jalen Gilbo. Like, Jalen Gilbo, Port Arthur product, he has a chance to be a really, really good player for Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. And I get it. Like, he's the backup for Jade Barron. So, if Jade getting the second most snaps out of anyone on this team behind Jalen Ford, it was hard to put Jalen Gilbo in spots. But this season, if you're able to move him around or just get him on the field whenever you can, hey, let's see if you can do that. Like Jalen Gilbo has a lot of attributes that are promising that he showed as a freshman, like the confidence they had for him as a freshman before he hurt his ankle. I forgot which game it was, but man, he was out there. And now you're just kind of like, all right, he should be fully healthy. Who knew, who knows if that was a situation last year where he still was fighting injuries and stuff. But if he could be healthy once September comes around, Man, this is one of the best secondaries in the nation if you combine. That's the thing, Zay. With Jalen Gilbo and Austin Jordan, who's a long, good-looking corner, won a state championship at Den Ryan, knows how to win, came from winning program. Those dudes are too talented not to be helping you in some way. And that's why you wonder, okay, does, does Johnny Barron – move to corner in the spring? Like, do they trust Jalen Gilbo enough? Do they trust Gilbo and Austin Jordan enough to handle that? Um, what, you know, what, what's the level of confidence? And I think it'll be interesting because there's too much talent and there was too much talent on the roster. Like move Jalen Gilbo, move Austin Jordan. And then Austin Jordan had, uh, some injury stuff uh, last year, but if you know, whatever you got to do. And they said, I mean, obviously they didn't get in the portal and leave. So uh, they're, this is a big spring. It's a huge spring. Yeah. The, odds, the wide receivers and the secondary, we're definitely going to have to keep an eye on who's going to stay and who's going to go. Cause not everybody's going to be happy. You, you just can't. You know, that it's not the old days where you're like, well, I'm just going to get this University of Texas degree and wait my turn and see what happens. Like, no, that's just not where these kids' heads are at. Well, we were asking all year, all season last year, why are you rotating five guys at safety? It's not like you have five great players. Was it because you didn't? know what you were going to get from each guy. So you had to see who had the hot hand. That's scary to me. Yeah. Um, but it, it should be, it should be like it was in 05 when you had, you had Aaron Ross and Terrell Brown and said Griffin and Michael Griffin and Michael Huff. And I mean, you, they were all NFL players and they were rotating. That's fine. Like there was no drop off 
and Dwayne Aquina did a great job of developing players, getting them to to cheer for each other, even when they weren't on the field. Like he made that room unselfish. And I couldn't tell what the hell was going on at safety last year. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. I know you were calling for Blake Gideon's job, man, which he on the hot seat. I'm uh, this year. He on the hot seat. Hey, don't listen. People <laughs> listen to this show who tell people, don't be saying I call for his job. I just said, explain some stuff to me. Oh, okay. I need to know. Because <laughs> it's not clean. It doesn't look right. I don't know what's going on. And when it doesn't look right to the fans, there's a real good chance there's something going on behind the scenes. Because yeah. you're a top-level program. You played the college football playoff. You should have playmakers everywhere. And well, you, that's that's it. Like you get to a college football playoff, you're one of the top four teams in the nation, and two of your experienced safeties leave. You got Keaton Crawford going to play for Jeff Choate in Nevada, and then you got Jaron Thompson going down to Auburn. So that's that's odd. Oh, that's weird. That's weird. Like I get it. This is the transfer portal and stuff. The grass. Yeah, they got some NIL money. Side. They got more. They got more NIL money than Texas was willing to give them. So okay, you know, Still, like the what you get from Texas afterwards. Right. I agree with that. Too. Like that. That should mean something too. I agree with that. And for those guys to leave, which the competition that's coming in, like you. Talked about Xavier Filsamy turning heads, you know, like that dude, he ain't trying to sit around if he has to, you know, expect big things from him. So, yeah, I, it was weird. Look, at, look like, at Caleb Downs, right? Yeah. I mean, Caleb Downs, freshman. I mean, Daryl Stingley Jr., when he was a freshman, these dudes were all Americans. Harold Perkins, freshman. All-American, not freshman All-American, first-team All-American, you know, and Anthony Hill needs to follow in that trend. Kobe Black and uh, Xavier Filsamy is one of the guys I'm most excited about. And, man, if your rotation is is Derek Williams and Andrew Makuba and Xavier Filsamy and Michael Taft, okay. You know, if Taft can keep being – in the right place at the right time. I mean, physically, he's not, he doesn't seem much bigger than me, but hey, let's go. I'm That's not counting the guy out. Yo, I mean, his look, little highlight tape that he put out not too long ago, Mookie was making moves this year. Mookie's Wait. a, he's a football player. He's, he's a, a football, football player. player. Yeah. And he's, yeah. he's great for the locker room. He's great for, he's a leader, all that, you know? Got to have those dudes, but you also, you got to be able to lock people down. And that's where this Texas defense, I mean, you, you said it five plays, 75 yards, you give up that against OU playing soft coverage and look soft coverage for some teams that that's one of the hardest things to do is to play soft coverage and be able to take stuff away, like be able to impact the catch. Texas was not good at it. So that's why I was like, don't play it because you're not good at it. So get 
get your guys up on the ball and try and get a hand on them and, and play it that way. Try to leverage them one side or the other and direct them where you want them to go and play it that way because that, that was not a strength. And so I just, I want the picture to look a lot cleaner in the secondary this year than it did a year ago. Cause it's uh, it wasn't good enough last year. It just wasn't. And look, Penix had the game of his life. He's up against my favorite player in the draft, Roma Dunze. That dude's catching balls that were contested. I mean, I felt bad for Ryan Watts. Ryan Watts was like stride for stride in a, on a couple of those plays. Same with Terrence Brooks. And the ball was just On the money. only where the receiver could get it. Yeah. yeah. You know? By the way, I like – I like Roma Dunze. Listen to him answer questions and stuff. He's smooth, that's blonde. And yeah, I, I like Roma Dunze. I see the charm. I see the He's charm. Smooth. While you got Mar Harrison Jr., he ain't talking to folks. He ain't doing interviews today. Like, I don't really? get that. Like, but I, yo, I got I got something for Mar Harrison Jr. Hey, did your daddy do it? Is your dad a felon? You know what I'm saying? See what he says about that. Trying to get these guys to go crazy. Because <laughs> Senior, he wasn't he into some scandalous stuff off the scene, off the field after you retired? I forgot what. So I'm not going to go out here and speculate. But I know he was up to something. He did something crazy. And I don't know if Marvin Harrison Jr. is one of those guys. Like, is he a prima donna dude that's always been – you know, just around the NFL. So you like those guys sometimes because they've seen what it takes to be a star, to be a Hall of Fame type player with his pops. But some also have an entitlement of, okay, I know how, or I think I know how things should go. This didn't happen for my pops. So why would it happen for me? You know, I might, he might think he's above certain things. Like, it's weird not him, him not interviewing. Like, that's very odd to me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I, I get it. He had some unbelievable highlights with CJ Stroud. Um, I like Roma Dunze. You know who Roma Dunze reminds me of? He reminds me of a little faster Larry Fitzgerald. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Dude, wow. Yeah. Wow. No, that's, All right. That's how much I think of him. Yeah, I, clearly. Wow. Right down to the personality. Very comfortable in his own skin, well-spoken. And, like, you would never think Larry Fitzgerald was the savage he was on the football field. That's the same way. You're talking to Roma Dunze, you're like, are you a football player? Like, so well-spoken. Are you a talk show host? And then he will just cut you. He will cut your neck. And like, People, when you talk about wide receivers, the greatest ever play, obviously Jerry Rice comes up, Randy Moss will come up, but I don't think Larry Fitzgerald's name comes up enough. I, I agree. Don't, I don't know if it's because the market or, you know what, when you're a wide receiver – I think there's always just a stigma on you to be over the top. 
to be crazy flamboyant and just, you know, cussing out your quarterback on the sideline when y'all go three and out and, you know, pulling pens out of your sock and signing them and giving them to people as autographs and stuff, Terrell Owens style. Like, you, you think of that. So when somebody comes on the scene that's humble and just great character like like uh, Larry Fitzgerald, you forget about them. And again, it's not you no know, knock to their play or anything, but shit, Larry Fitzgerald, his stats, accolades, Pro Bowls, yo, they're up there with all the greats. Like he's a top ten, maybe top five in certain people's eyes receiver. He just kept to his business, went about his business, and that's where on business. That's where a Kalen DeBoer can really help, like. I get that Kalen DeBoer didn't recruit Roma Dunze, but if he would come out and say something like that, or that that stuff matters. Like when your coach talks, I remember what Dabo, I think he said this about Deshaun Watson, that he's Michael Jordan. Hey, Michael Jordan, yeah. But Deshaun Watson has gotten paid. He's gotten paid. Yeah. everywhere and he look he played well with the texans as a rookie now he's got all kinds of issues See? and the gms the scouts didn't look into that too much because once he said michael jordan now you're just thinking okay on the field stuff he's cool dabble's probably thinking he might get into a little trouble off the field <laughs> you know he might get into some shit off the field too that ladies uh, love Deshaun. You know, or maybe the not. ladies love Deshaun. Yeah. Okay. With that but that small ass towel. I mean, you know, Mac Mac Brown probably did it too much, um, to the point where people would tune it out. But I, I do think I think Roma Dunze, I, Larry Fitzgerald, and I've looked at it. I mean, you know, this is my guy. This is my number one player in this draft, and you watch their film of like Fitzgerald at Pitt. And they're both 6'3", 218. And Adunze, when I was at the Sugar Bowl, everyone was like, this guy studies film. He knows exactly, you know, how to leverage guys in his route running to get open and take advantage of what they don't do well as a DB. I'm like, okay, I'm in. I'm in. Because. It's one thing to have freaky athletic ability. It's another thing to outsmart everybody with that freaky athletic ability. And I think that's, I think that's what a Dunze is. And that's like, you know, Quentin Johnston made some nice plays on the ball at TCU, but I wasn't hearing stuff like that about him. No, you know, that he no. was like a total fiend about film study and, just embarrassing people. Now, when you have a quarterback who can put it on you like Michael Penix, that'll make you study some film. Just like all the receivers at Texas. If you got a guy like Quinn Ewers, Arch Manning, it makes you want to study film that much more because you know the quarterback can put it on you if uh, if you're going to know the the answers to the test before the test. Yeah. So. Yeah, the most 
you know, what I've seen with Roma Doomsday and in these mock drafts was going around the nation from these media members and experts. I've been seeing the Bears at nine. Oh, God, that would piss me off. What? What if they go up to uh, get O.C. Williams? Yeah. Caleb Williams. The Bears are the cheapest. They're one of the worst run teams in the NFL. The McCaskey family, they're dirt cheap. They don't get it. It's it's pathetic. They're almost – the Bengals have gotten better. The Jaguars have gotten better. But those were always classically three of the worst franchises to go to because the families who owned them wouldn't spend money. Yeah. And so – and you got you to gotta go to a team that – values coaching scouting the whole thing you got to invest in everything and so that you're getting the best players out of the draft you're developing them and everybody feels that energy coming into the into the team the reason justin fields went on the amon ra or saint brown podcast and was like i just want to know if i'm going to be here is because the management of the bears is, is not great. I mean, even Ryan Poles, when he was doing some interviews, getting ready for the combine, he was like, you know, I I get it. We want to let him know. Clearly they don't want to tip their hand right now because they want to see what they can get. They, you know, the draft is coming up next month. They want to see what they can get in terms of offers, because if they get a bank breaking deal, then hell yeah, they're going to trade Justin Fields. You know, I've got questions about Justin Fields' accuracy. I think he's a tough guy. I think he will run. He'll do what he has to do. But I got questions about his accuracy, and I got questions about him as a leader. Maybe the Bears have beaten the life out of him. That would not surprise me. I mean, Nick Foles was in Chicago. Nick Foles told Matt Nagy, who's now with the Chiefs, um, told Matt Nagy, the way you're doing this, you're going to lose the team. And Nagy just demo- demoted him to third team and told him to shut up. Like in, Nick Foles is like the nicest guy on the planet. He was trying to help him. And yeah. that's how insecure Nagy was. So that whole operation is just, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I never understood these billionaires who wanted to get into sports but don't understand what it takes for your franchise to be successful. Well, and the McCaskies have had that team forever. So, you know, the days of George, since the days of George Hallis, and mm-hmm. and then, you know, it gets passed on to, from generation to generation, and some generations do a crap job, and other times the generation – Oh, thank God. You know, uh, one of the younger members of the family came in, took it over. Like, you know, Clark Hunt, he's done a great job. He took over from his dad, Lamar Hunt. He's done a great job. Got the Chiefs? Um, yeah, the Chiefs. Oh. And, you know, um, uh, Sheila Ford, you know, thank yeah. God she came in because she's changed everything. And and then you've got the Brown family who owns the Bengals. They're ancient and they're cheap and like Marvin Lewis deserved a medal for what he did in Cincinnati winning getting them to the playoffs I know they've been to a Super Bowl everyone's like what are you talking about they 
they have invested in scouting so they've they've done that but for years the brown family who own the the bengals would not use all the money under the salary cap and would just take the tv revenue and make money they didn't care about winning now sometimes they won sometimes they didn't but you know it's i'm always amazed when cincinnati does well because the brown family has been notoriously cheap and now my god the salary cap is now going to 250 million Whew. that's amazing that tells you how much money is pouring in to the nfl from all the television and roger goodell i hate to say it deserves the 44 million he gets because he's he's kept them out of strikes he's he's kept labor peace the tv dollars keep going up people can't get enough they're televising the draft on what three four different days they everything's an event now everything's a made for tv event and all that money goes into the owner's pockets and goodell's the one telling the owners hey we can do this there's television appetite for this we can blah 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 and they've just gotten rich beyond their wildest dreams i mean jerry jones has a boat that cost more than the cowboys and their stadium when he bought the team for 140 million in 1989 and now he has a boat that cost 210 million and jerry had to leverage every penny every business holding he had to buy the cowboys in the stadium for 140 million in 89 and Jerry Jones is one of the smartest businessmen I've ever seen. The guy cannot stop making money. He surrounds himself with great people. Every real estate. He's, he was the first guy building apartments in Dallas and putting a nine-hole golf course on the property, like a nine-hole par three golf course on the property of the apartment. That's genius. And he was doing that. In 2000 with this guy, Jim Lindsay, and those apartments are like, they're out just outside of Dallas and the, you know, the Frisco's and the whatever, where uh, McKinney, smart, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that was a really long-winded answer. And we're going to talk to John McClain coming up here in, in a minute. I want to get his, he knows all this stuff. I want to, maybe I'm, maybe the Brown family has some, new member generation. Um, but yeah, that ownership is, remember the guy, the guy who was running the bills. He was almost, he was 90 when he, he died. 90 uh, Wilson, Ralph Wilson, 90 and, making decisions. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I say that, but Biden's agent too. So shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like these dudes. Yeah, don't get me started on that. But yeah, some of these guys are you're like, oh man, can we weekend at Bernie's this thing? And can we get someone else making the decision here? Just prop them up or yeah, it's it's fascinating. All right, let's grab a couple uh mentions in here real quick before we talk to our man John McClain Apple Leasing. Getting you into the car you really want to be driving. It's a beautiful thing. They lease every make and model of car, so they don't care what car you pick. 
They just want you to be happy. And you're not paying for the future trade in value of that car. So you're getting into a better car than you thought you could afford. And it's brand new. Some of you haven't had a new car in forever. And you're like, oh, I never get a new car. Well, now you can't. Whether you want to keep your payments in the $400 range or get a Range Rover, you know, cars are a depreciating asset. They're not a great investment. So why would you buy a car when you can lease a car and just go from one car that's under warranty to another? Because everybody's like, oh, I can't wait to pay off my car. Then I don't have a car payment. Well, but are you happy? Like sometimes you just want to be happy and you're going to be in traffic. So I'm just saying, Apple Leasing's got you covered. Give them a call. 346-9977. Go to appleleasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. All right, I see our man, John McClain. Let's bring him in. Pro Football Hall of Fame voter and in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his coverage of the NFL, the one and only John McClain. John, I was just talking to Zay about Roma Dunze is my favorite player in this draft. I think he reminds me of Larry Fitzgerald. Um, right down to his incredibly cerebral personality and approach to studying football. Um, and Zay was saying, oh, you know, mock draft I saw had him going to the Bears. And I was like, uh, there are some ownership families in, in the NFL that get it, and there are some that don't. Now, the McCaskey family, I don't know. Now, some of these families are getting some new generations in. The Brown family in Cincinnati was notoriously cheap forever. Who are the the bad ownership families or the ones that are notoriously behind the curve? Well, first of all, I want to plug something. I started writing feature stories for the Texans website, not columns, but feature stories, and I've done three. And you can go to HoustonTexans.com, look for my name, and, and uh, read them. HoustonTexans.com. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's just features. I'm not using any opinion. And if I did, I'll, it'd be good right now because they're coming off such a good season. I would never have been able to do this the last three seasons. And uh, But anyway, I, I, I like doing it because no space limitations. And I got 1.9 million Twitter followers and 2 million Facebook followers. And I've never, ever been able to have a chance to reach any an audience anywhere near this, no matter what I've done. Anyway, if you look That's at That's great that, news. Thank you. If you look at that uh, NFLPA survey that was done this week, second year in a row, you get a good idea about the teams. But on the other hand, Clark Hunt of the Chiefs, from his own players, got an F, and Andy Reid got an A-plus. Well, the problem is Clark Hunt's looked at as a really good owner. They won three Super Bowls in four years, but the, the players don't like the facility. Texans are number seven. Last year, I think they were five because they got great facilities, and they just spent a lot more on them two years ago. And the only negative complaint, well, the only complaint that's redundant from the players that they don't have a jacuzzi. And I, I'm thinking, you know what? You should tell the players, well, just go outside. And that's a good, I'm, I'm sorry, a sauna. Go outside and you got a sauna. I don't know why players complain about not having a sauna when they live in Houston. I'd want, <laughs> I'd want a cold plunge. And the McCaskey family, they don't interfere. You know, they've, they've had so many different general managers. 
if they don't make it right now with Ryan Pauls, who came from the Chiefs, and he got those picks last year for swapping with the Panthers. And now he's going to use the first pick on Caleb Williams, but he's going to get multiple teams bidding on Justin Fields. And I'm assuming he'll get a conditional pick, probably to have to have a two. Um, he'll have to have something this year, and you can't put a condition on this year's pick, of course. But you didn't say next year you had a two this year and a three next year. The three could go to a two if the team makes the playoffs, could go to a one if they win a playoff game and uh, give the team give the teams some team as incentive to win, of course, so they wouldn't be trading for fills and make them pay for it. But the whole idea is to get multiple teams to beat it. Now the Bears are in a division. As you know, Detroit, Detroit got good about midway through the 2022 season. Same thing could happen to the Packers. <coughs> Excuse me, same thing. <coughs> Sorry, could happen to the Bears if they get the quarterback right. They've got to do that. And maybe they decide they'd rather have Jaden Daniels. Maybe they decide that they got to have uh, uh, Drake May. One thing would be really interesting to me is what if they like Jaden Daniels better than Caleb Williams and Drake May? And they traded number swap places with Washington so Washington could get Caleb Williams as he's from Washington. They all, everybody wants Caleb Williams. And then what if uh, New England wanted uh, Drake May? And then they make a trade with New England for pick this year and next year, picks this year and next year. And then they get the third pick and they get the quarterback they wanted, Jaden Daniels. And then they got all these extra picks and they traded Justin Fields to get extra picks this year and next year. If they were to do that, and I don't think they will, I think they're going to take Caleb Williams, but you can trade in the NFL no more than three years away. One of the things that Texans insisted on with uh, Deshaun Watson with Cleveland is they want, they got other picks, but they wanted the ones in consecutive years for three years. That's why this year they have 23rd pick because it, it comes in that trade. And uh, so then they also have a four. So that, I, can you imagine if you traded fields and you traded down twice and you had picks stacked up for the next three years. I don't even think the Bears could botch it. But we've seen a lot of teams make deals for multiple picks and blow them off. Look what the Raiders did when Mike Mayock was a general manager for John Gruden. They had multiple first-round picks. Now, Mark Davis stayed out of it, but everybody blasted him for hiring Mike Mayock. He didn't. John Gruden hired Mike Mayock. Mark Davis stayed out of it. Does that make Mark Davis a bad owner? No. It's usually based on who the owner hires, unless you're an owner who wants to get involved. And some do, like right now, Josh Harris, the majority owner of the commanders, he's sitting in on the quarterback meetings. I don't blame him. I don't think he's going to tell them who to draft like David Tepper did. You always worry when an owner gets involved like that. I remember with Jeffrey Lurie, came to the combine when he just bought the Eagles and he had a stopwatch around his neck and people were like, "Uh Oh, that's not good, but it's worked out really well for as him as an owner for the uh, Eagles, because he was just curious. I, if I owned a team and I had paid that much money and I was going to dra draft a quarterback one or two, you can get, of course you can get 
the tape of the interviews, but I kind of like to sit in on it as well. But uh, the worst groups, you know, the Browns were cheap for, I mean, the Bengals were cheap forever. Last team to get an indoor facility. And uh, some of the teams, if you read that NFLPA survey, some of the things teams make their players pay for is just ridiculous. The trend in recent years, don't make them room together. Forever they had to room together on the road at training camp. Everybody wants a separate room. Most teams do it. Some teams still don't. And they may be good owners. They may be great. The Steelers owner, Art Rooney, got a terrible grade because their facilities are not anywhere near what other teams are. And one of the things that's really important, families. I was asked on a show this morning, well, what does that mean about families? And I'd say, well, first of all, it's how you take care of the families on game day. One of the new stadiums, they walked off how far it was and how long it would take to go from the entrance to the team's home locker room to the family room. How big is the family room? Do they have separate for daycare where if you want to leave your kids in there and go to a suite and watch the game? Do you have suites for the families? Do you put them in the stands? Where are they located in the stands? And uh, so those things are really important today that nobody ever thought about in the old days. But if your standards are not up to others, you're going to get ripped. And that that survey that's now been done every year is being done every year. That's an embarrassment to the Steelers, embarrassment to the Chiefs. John, I've been seeing uh, Kirk Cousins right now. Obviously, he's going to be a free agent, but what's the word on just with the draft coming up where Kirk Cousins might end up in the 2024 season? Vikings want him back because they got nothing. I mean, they got nothing. And they're not in a position to get one of the top quarterbacks. Now, maybe they could get J.J. McCarthy or a guy like Bo Nix, maybe Michael Penix in the second round. But if they don't get Cousins back and they don't trade up for one of the other guys, they're in trouble. And I, unless they love Jalen, uh, was the kid from uh, BYU. Jalen Hall, I can't remember, was a rookie last year, and he didn't do squat. And Cousins, of course, costs money. He doesn't cost picks. He wants a guaranteed contract. His last one was totally guaranteed. He never got a lot of recognition for that, but he got that before Deshaun Watson got his fully guaranteed. His Watson's was a lot more, but cousins, you know, when cousins plays, people are blasting him all the time because he can't win anything. He has a winning record and he compiles great stats and just receivers like Justin Jefferson love him because he throws it a lot, but what's he ever want? Now, if the Falcons just want to pay money, if they can fit him under their cap, you know, do they go for him? Because at picking where they pick, I think number eight, they're not going to get one of the top three. And we still got a long way to go in the scouting process, including pro days and private workouts and lunches and dinners. And teams can bring in 30 players to their facilities that can't work out, but it's just to meet them, greet them, let everybody get to know them, see if everybody likes them. But uh, Cousins, I would imagine Raiders, uh, Vikings, of course, Falcons, all these teams, maybe, I don't, I don't know if Denver's going to get rid of Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson had 28 touchdowns, nine interceptions, and a 98 rating last season. Now, if I told you those stats, you go, wow, that quarterback 
did really well. And then if I said, well, who it was, Russell Wilson, like, oh, I thought he was terrible. I thought he got benched and thought he had problems with uh, Sean Payton. Well, he did, and that's a yes on all fronts, but he showed he can still play. The key is, can you handle Russell Wilson? So he's going to be out there as well, another veteran. And a team like Atlanta, which uh, a lot of people think they want Fields because he's from Atlanta, but he's going to be costly. That's interesting. Yeah, we talked to Dan Neal this week, and he said absolutely the acrimony between Wilson and Peyton and Wilson and the ownership is what caused the breakup. And I'm I'm fascinated to see what uh, what team makes sense for him because you know there was a time in Seattle where. It, it got weird, John, like what Golden Tate allegedly slept with his wife. So the Seahawks got rid of Golden Tate. Then Percy Harvin's mad that they got rid of Golden Tate. So they got rid of Percy Harvin. And like Russell Wilson was kind of trying to keep it together within his own locker room. Like the seems like drama follows the guy or he's I don't know. Well, one thing that happened. First of all, let me ask you, is Dan Neal still living in Denver? No, he's living in Austin. Well, when you talk to him next time, I don't know if he remember me or this. When he was playing for the Broncos and they were winning back-to-back Super Bowls, I was covering the NFL and I spent a lot of time up there. And their coach for the offensive line, Alex Gibbs, did not want his offensive lineman talking to the media. And if they did, they get fined. Now, you can't do this today because it's against the rules. Players have to talk. And Dan talked to me one time. I had introduced myself being from Houston and, and we talked, and then I, he gave me a couple of quotes, and of course there was no internet back then. And so I guess he thought, and I thought, nobody would ever see it. Somehow they did, and I think the players, the linemen themselves, led by their center, Tom Nalen, I think Dan got fined for being quoted in the Houston Chronicle. But back then, it was it was a kind of a kangaroo court. But uh, and I always felt bad that it cost Dan like five hundred bucks. If he remembers it, ask him how much oh, that I'll was. You know, Russell Wilson's problem, he's not controversial. I think a lot of people are jealous of him because of his wife, Sarah, who's drop dead gorgeous and famous, more famous than he is when it comes to non sports. And and like him having his office in Denver, him having his own parking place. He's always set himself up differently. And I remember he talked about on their trip to Europe that he was doing exercises in the aisles of the plane. And just he says things that that rubs people the wrong way. And the first time I saw an indication of any of this was a story in ESPN, the magazine, one of those behind the scene deep dives in which all quotes were anonymous when anybody could say anything. And they, that story about them and the Seahawks, especially the defense, specifically the Legion of Boom, how jealous they were of Russell Wilson and how he got treated by Pete Carroll compared to them. And there was just a lot of jealousy and animosity behind the scenes at a time when coaches really try hard to have everybody on the same page to benefit the uh, culture. But they got rid of him. I don't think it was because of that. I think they got rid of him because they didn't think he could do the things. I read a deep dive in the athletic after they traded him by a guy that I trust implicitly, Mike Sando, 
about why they got rid of him, little things because he couldn't do this and that on the field the way he used to when they went to back-to-back Super Bowls. Do you know what? You have 28 touchdown passes, 98 rating, and you're dealing with all Sean Payton, one of the royal pain in the butts. That's not too shabby. Yeah, yeah. Be interesting. Maybe Atlanta. That that would be uh, that'd be something. Are you keeping eyeballs on? Uh, you watching the combine at all? Oh yeah, I've watched every bit of it. I like. It's interesting. I I went. This is the first time I haven't been since 1985. And when you're at the combine, used to you could never watch anything, so you just hear. You would ask people. You would look for things online from NFL.com and NFL before the network. Then when the network got here, it took the combine to a new level because everybody could see it. Well, in the media room, you have TVs around, but they're, you know, you're distracted talking to people. There's no sound. And uh, then they let some come into the stadium. They used to not, but you're way away. And so I've found here, you know, I can, I, I record it. I don't want to, I don't have time to watch it live and I don't want to watch the commercials. So I record it because I can get through all the BS and just watch like I wanted to watch Murphy and sweat yesterday, because if, if Murphy were to fall to the Texans at 23 and he won't, but if he did, he's one of the things they need. They need an interior defensive lineman who can collapse the pocket. They also need an edge rusher. I'm pretty sure in my own mind, they're going to take, a defensive lineman in the first round, unless they have some player rate a lot higher than another position. And I see these these mock drafts like Mel Kuyper having taken an offensive tackle. Give me a break. They're two highest paid players play tackle, and they're both healthy. Laramie Tunsil on the left, Titus Howard on the right. And so um, uh, Murphy just, you know, he's, he's just too good. It's amazing. He reminds me of Aaron Donald because he's short. You know, he's not quite 6'1". And he weighs three oh what three oh five, and yet he's so quick and he's so powerful. And Sweat, second second heaviest guy, he was he ran the second fastest, and even though it was a five two something time of a guy weighed more than three hundred fifty five pounds. If Sweat would get down to about three forty, he'd be guaranteed to going in the first round because you watch him run and he's jiggling all over the place. I mean, you watch, you watch Murphy, Murphy is rock solid. And so I'll guarantee you they're worried about Sweat's weight. They're worried about him eating. When teams come to the NFL, you can't go out and eat fast food. They keep track of everything that goes in your body. And if you're not at the weight they want you to be at, you're on a diet. And you probably guys have never had to worry about this, but I have. When you're on a diet, you're miserable. And you got enough problems trying to make a team and contribute without worrying about that. So if he can show the discipline to lose some of that weight and get about 340, he would be in the first round. It could mean a couple more million dollars for him. But obviously that's not going to happen before the draft because he's not going to lose that much. But he's still a really good talent. They don't have drills specifically for nose tackle. But when you look at him, he just looks like a nose tackle who can tie up two blockers and play the run. Great personality as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Longhorns forever went without having any top prospects at the combine. And now it's such a credit to their recruiting and their coaching that they got so many probably going to go in the first and second round. The tight end, Xavier Worthy, Mitchell, those guys, they got some athletes there. And uh, 
And I can't wait to see where they all go because they've now run off and left the Aggies who had run off and left the Longhorns. Yeah, John, going back to just all the years that you've covered the game, have you seen anybody that size of Travondre Sweat that overcame the weight issue and ended up being a decade-long player? I don't I don't see a guy his size making it that long because it just hadn't been one. And maybe is he, you know, I think he what is he, six four, something like that. And people are going to look at him, and as soon as he gets there, they're going to tell him he's got to lose some weight, and they're going to give him a number. And if he does it, he can have a long and productive career. But they're not—they're more worried about him gaining weight. And uh, so, and the fact that he did not weigh at the combine, everybody's antenna went up, and then he weighed here. But uh, I think it's really interesting about what could happen. But there's a reason that guys that weight don't have long and productive careers. Yeah. Yeah, Gilbert Brown is a guy who comes to mind, but I, I can't remember how long he played in the. He played a long the, time with the Packers, but I don't know if he was three hundred sixty-five pounds. No, he was three forty. I think they. That's why I said you get out three forty, and you're playing the defensive line on the interior like him, especially if you're in a three-man front. You know, he 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 can. It's a hard enough position to play anyway. When you're playing on the nose and you got two guys hitting you all the time, used to like Curly Cup, greatest nose tackle in history. I don't understand how he was able to do this, but he never had a knee injury. And back then, you could high low a guy. The center would hit you and stand you up. A guard would cut you in the knees, and it was legal. And somehow he never had a knee injury. And today you can't do that. So the game is more conducive for nose tackles to be able to have longer careers if they're lucky, but there's not a tougher position in the NFL to play physically than on the nose where you get hit twice on every play by two players. That's why I thought Casey Hampton deserves some pro football hall of fame. I do too. He won two Super Bowls. He was the best nose tackle in the league at his time during his time. And for, uh, playing for a great defense and he was a big part of it, but I've never heard Casey's name mentioned. It's hard. Vince Welfork, another nose tackle. He played on the nose. And then when he went to a a four man front, he played tackle and Vince was a heavy guy too, but not 360. And, and, uh, and he won multiple Super Bowls. and Vince's name's been floated a little bit, but for some reason, when you're a defensive lineman, if you're just, a nose tackle, you don't get the respect that you should. And you'd think our committee, we're supposed to be able to go behind the numbers and looking at a guy's value like what Hampton did for the Steelers or Will Fork did for the Patriots, that ought to be enough at least to get them in the room as a finalist. Yeah. John McCall Harmon has some interesting things to say We're on a podcast this week. Yeah, I'm glad you chuckled about that because I also chuckled. But to just completely throw the Jets down the drain and talk about how he's been a Super Bowl champion and when he was in New York, it was just everything was around Aaron Rodgers. And once Aaron Rodgers went down, that's when crap hit the fan. How valid are those comments? Like what's going on with Robert Sala and them? Because when you watch well, it seemed like everything was great. Say, I don't think uh, anybody would be surprised to know that the Jets 
had issues behind the scenes. I'm sure they had a great defense. There had to have been a lot of jealousy about the defense compared to the offense, lack of production about how bad Zach Wilson was against everybody but the Texans when he had the game of his career. And then Aaron Rodgers got players there that he wanted that took the place of players that maybe the guys on the defense still thought could play. And the bad thing about Rodgers' guys he wanted, they didn't produce. And the fact is, is everybody knew Aaron Rodgers running that team. He was running the front office. And right now, everybody's scared to death. Offensive tackle David Bakhtiari, he's had injury issues for the last four years, and one of Rodgers' closest friends, that he's going to get the Jets to bring him in there. He's got him to keep one of the worst assistant coaches in history in Nathaniel Hackett, who's not a coordinator. And the players know this guy is not a coordinator, and Aaron's really running the offense. That's not conducive to winning. Robert Sala is the coach. He stood behind him. You know, he didn't show up to combine. He didn't want to do the media. Well, you can show up to the combine and not do the media. Others have done that. Sean Payton never did the media that he showed up. And so it made Sala look bad, but he's getting blasted enough. The thing that got me the most, Zay, about that was where that idiot Hartman said that uh, he was on talking to the GM, Brett Veach, and he was talking to Mahomes saying, come get me, which is totally illegal for the GM. And then when it was pointed out it was illegal, then he goes back, oh, uh, no, 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 I, I didn't I didn't, I didn't, mean that. Or he said I didn't say it. Well, he did say it. So the NFL is going to investigate, and I'll bet you, even though they're the Chiefs, they're, they're going to have to pay a penalty because of him, and now he's out there again, and that's not going to help him get another job when he's dumb enough to go on a – podcast and say he'd been communicating illegally with the Chiefs, no matter how much he tried to run it back. Yeah. Um, John, I was just looking at that NFLPA survey and the Texans got um, high marks. Yep. Um, they got a B plus, uh, B's, A minus, B plus for treatment of families, A minus for Food cafeteria A minus for nutritionist dietitian, uh, B minus for locker room or B for locker room. Um, your thoughts on that? Well, the McNair family got a B plus, and if you and that's the second year in a row, but yet if you talk to the national media, they think they're the worst in the world because they fired two coaches, David Cully and and uh, Lovey Smith, after they were one and done. Well, if anybody'd watched them coach and see what a bad job they did, you'd understand why that happened. Now that they got D'Amico, and I'm stunned that D'Amico got an A-. minus. I don't know what the players, because the players love the man, but I would have thought he got an A+. plus. There were like three A-pluses. One of them was – the two were expected. One was Andy Reid. But the other one was Kevin O'Connell, which is a great tribute to Kevin O'Connell because he's been on the job. This is his third year. And – uh and so uh, those grades are good for the Texans. They were good last year when people were really surprised because they hadn't won anything. They hadn't done squat, and yet their own players thought highly of the way they operated there. So I'll guarantee you they're happy, but they still not, they're still not going to put in that song. <laughs> yeah, worst ownership, the Arizona Cardinals, F. No surprise to bid Michael Bidwell. They Their facilities are bad. He's got all that controversy going off the field. Uh, people anonymously c accusing him of all kinds of things. No surprise. 
Josh McDaniel, who got fired, was, I think, the F-minus coach, which certainly didn't surprise anybody. I would think if Josh McDaniel, say he wanted to interview for another head coaching job, that that an owner would have to say, hmm, now if his own players gave him such a low grade, why are we interested? I don't think he'll get another job as an assistant coach because his last year at New England was Mac Jones's rookie year, and Jones was pretty good. We all thought he's going to have a good career. Then he went down to the toilet the last two years when Belichick totally screwed him up, having special teams coach and defensive coordinator coach him. Still can't figure that one out. And by the time he brought Bill O'Brien back, and O'Brien had done a great job with Brady, but three of us could do a great job with Brady. And then he did a good job with Bryce Young, and maybe we could do a good job with him too. But he sure didn't do a good job with with uh, Mac Jones, who now needs a new zip code. But um, it's it's amazing how that works, that Josh McDaniels has failed twice. Why the Raiders hired him is still beyond me after what happened to him in Denver. Uh, awful. Yeah. I mean, I mean the Belichick tree, John. It's awful. Um, the only one with the winning records, Bill O'Brien. Bill, Bill O'Brien. And I mean, your overall thoughts on Bill O'Brien. How would you characterize your experience with him? Well, I, I like Bill. He used to cuss me out all the time. He'd get mad <laughs> early in his career. There, he'd he'd call back, and I remember one time. He had read my report card online before I ever typed my byline on my column after the game. And he calls me up and rips me a new one. And uh, so then he hangs up. About 15 late, minutes later, he calls back. Him all's around, said, Well, his wife Colleen heard him and told him he needs to call back and apologize. So that was his way of doing it, saying it was her encouraging him to do it. And one time he went about three months during the season not talking to me when I would – he wouldn't even say hello when I'd say, like, hey, Bill, hey, Rick. And uh, and because and he got mad after a game in New England in which he did a terrible job of clock management, I asked him first thing, and I know his PR guy told him it's coming because we all knew he didn't call a timeout when he was supposed to. He allowed Brady to get up to the line of scrimmage, throw a pass, when he should have thrown the red flag, it was a blatant incompletion. And then Brady throws winning touchdown pass, and the Texans lost the chance to beat them. That was in 18. Then all of a sudden, late in the season, he started talking to me again. But I like covering him. I thought he was a good coach. He should never have been the general manager. And the McNairs put him, Cal McNair put him in charge, and he made some of the worst deals ever, tore the team apart. And so, I'm glad I like him, so I'm glad he got the job in uh, Boston. If that's what he wanted, coach back at Boston College, you know Boston College's coach hightailed it to Green Bay to be defensive coordinator because the NIL and the transfer portal, and O'Brien's going to face those same things. I, you know, we, everybody thinks Nick Saban retired for the same reason. He got tired of dealing with all that BS, and you'd think he has much NIL money as anybody. He could be getting guys in the transfer portal whenever he needed it. But uh, I hope O'Brien does well. He's from up there. You know, he went to Brown. He grew up northeast, northeastern part of the country. And so he must he's probably in a perfect spot. That job he did at Penn State under the circumstances and to have two winning records to me was one of the greatest coaching jobs in the history of sports at any level. 
I got to ask you this because it reminded me, and I brought this up at the time. Um, when the Texans had the 24-0 lead on the Chiefs in the playoffs, and Bill O'Brien goes for the fake punt, and it fails, and, and Arrowhead comes apart, and it's an avalanche, 41 unanswered points. And if you trace it back to that decision is when his win-loss record went upside down. How much do you think that decision, because the players always know or that they think they know, and if they don't agree with what the coach is doing, they start to doubt the coach, which I'm hoping is not happening in Detroit. But um, what what do you think about that situation that happened with O'Brien and the Texans? I think it's a lot different with Dan Campbell because people like Campbell. And yeah. that's kind of his personality. That wasn't O'Brien's personality. Now, one guy for could not pick up a guy's safety, Daniel Sorensen, who made a tackle on Justin Reed to up back. And O'Brien explained it this way afterward. We knew we weren't going to beat Patrick Mahomes with only 24 points. We had to do some things to to try to get more. Now, they made it 24 to 7. That play's not why they lost. They turned around on the next time and allowed a long return. And that set up a short field. And then they had, can't remember, another, another big mistake that was blatant that made it 24-21. And then they were beaten at halftime. I mean, it was just a total collapse. And, yes, that was a call that backfired. Had it worked, you know, he'd have been a genius if they won. They won up there in regular season with Patrick Mahomes throwing three touchdown passes, and the Texans still won, I think, by seven. And odds were they're not going to win two games in Arrowhead in one season. But they were loaded with talent that year. And uh, But, you know, it backfired, and that's where it started because everybody – didn't like O'Brien. He got more criticism than he probably should have for that one call where Dan Campbell can make multiple stupid decisions and and people will not not eviscerate him because they like him. Yeah. John, last one for me, Eric Bieniemy going the college route, which is very interesting. You would think that he would try to stick around the NFL, but he's going to UCLA. They're going to the Big Ten. Why do you think that is? Because he couldn't get a job. You know, I'm amazed that some people in the media keep trying to list him as a head coaching candidate. He's not going to get a head coaching job. He's had so many interviews he didn't get. You know, Eric Bieniemy's got – he wanted to go to Washington. And I remember – I'm writing it, saying it, tweeting it. He's going to go there. Ron Rivera is going to get fired, and he's going to be looking for a job. He should have been more discerning trying to get an offensive coordinator job where he could call plays instead of Andy Reid. So that backfired, and then there was talk Andy Reid was going to hire him again, which he could have, but not as a coordinator because he's got a coordinator, Matt Nagy. And so uh, that's the only thing he could get. Maybe he's hoping to get a head coaching job on the collegiate level, but we're never going to see Eric Bieniemy be a head coach in the NFL, probably not in college unless it's lower because he's also getting up there in age. He's one of those guys that's just got to get used to being an assistant coach, and he's done it for a long time. And when he, he could have another Super Bowl ring this year if he'd have stayed in Kansas City and gotten a humongous check, but obviously in his heart he thinks he can do better. But when you have as many interviews as he has – and you haven't gotten hired, you got to think at some point you're not doing a good job in those interviews. Yeah, that's what I hear. All right, so 
you think the Texans go what position with their first defensive round? line? You okay. know, if a guy like Murphy were there, and I don't think he will be, another guy I like a lot because he won the Lombardi Award here, and I spent some time with him interviewing him and the other finalists during a luncheon. And then what I really is Leatu Leitu from UCLA, great story, had injury problems with his neck, retired from football at, uh, at Washington, then decided to come back, went down to UCLA and was great for two years. That's why the medical is so important for him because he know he can play. But as I was leaving the uh, hotel and I see him and his family standing off to the side holding the trophy and I kind of waved at him and I was probably 50 feet from him. I see him put the trophy on the table and run over to me to thank me for the, the luncheon and the, and asking the questions and for him having such a great time there. And last year, Will Anderson Jr. won it. I interviewed him afterward about Bryce Young because I thought they had a chance to get Bryce Young. I had no knew they weren't. There's no way they're going to get Will Anderson Jr. He was going too high, and he was a pleasure to deal with for Lombardi people. Now I'm thinking, could it be two in a row? Although uh, Leatu Leitu is probably going to go before the 23rd pick, but uh, anyway, I think it'll be a, a defensive lineman. Even if they were to retain Jonathan Grenard. And uh, I don't think they will. You know, they're not going to franchise him. The franchise, $20 million, that's a starting point. I don't think they believe he's worth $20 million a year based on his injury history here. And he had one, one, one good year and one really good year this season, but he was hurt again. And uh, so they have a budget on players. And if indeed another team will pay him more than that budget, they'll go up a little bit, but they're not going to go up a lot. But even if he and Anderson were still bookends, I still think they would draft another lineman in the first round because D'Amico's whole coaching career has been with the 49ers. On defense, the 49ers put every resource in the line and not in the back seven. guy like Fred Warner, third-round pick, Dre Greenlaw, fifth-round pick, and I think they're having the same philosophy here. And every time D'Amico talks about the defense, it starts – with the importance of the line. And that's one of the uh, stories I have on Houston, HoustonTexans.com is about that and what they need to do to be a legitimate Super Bowl contender. HoustonTexans.com. That's awesome to hear, John McClain, because your expertise, your wisdom needs to be shared. Um, I, next week, I share it on seven talk shows a week. And a massive smack <laughs> video a week. And as you guys know, talking for money is like stealing. And so I had a great time talking talking about sports. And I appreciate you guys uh, giving me a chance to come on. And uh, by the way, uh, I want to say Stickham Bears going up against the Jayhawks and the Longhorns. Hopefully they will finish with a flourish. Yeah, I was going to say next week we'll be able to talk about the uh, Texas Baylor basketball game from Monday night. John, you're the best. They lost in overtime to the Cougars. I tell you what, Cougars, I, I told Mattress Mac after I watched Baylor and Houston in overtime, I said, that's as good a defensive team as I've ever seen. They play hard. They're smart. They're athletic. They get great coaching. I said, I think they got a better chance of winning a national championship than the Astros do of winning a World Series, considering what uh, Atlanta, Los Angeles have, Orioles on the rise. And Max got a promotion about U of H 
in buying furniture as he always does with the Astros. Then he went out and bet a million on the Cougar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you you convinced him, and he went and bet a million on the Cougs. Yeah, I've told him since we started doing business together about two years ago. I said, never bet on anything that I tell you. Oof. Hey, I keep that in mind when I do my bracket, John. <laughs> what Mattress Mac does. Yeah, man. Well, I do lot. believe that about the Cougars. I've watched a couple of games with Purdue and UConn, and UConn's good. And you know, guys know so much can happen in that tournament, but the Cougars are well coached and motivated. And if Baylor's not going to win it, and they're not, then I'm hoping U of H does because it's a, such a big deal here. And I became a fi- fan of Fislama Jamma the year they lost to North Carolina State, and that's game against them in Louisville. Uh, the Clyde Slamma Jamma versus Doctors of Duncan the Semis, still the best, most explosive athletic basketball game I've ever seen. So a lot of people here are hungry and pulling for the Cougars. Yeah, I agree with you. Thank I you guys for having me. Yeah. As always. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Thanks so uh, much. Have a great weekend. You too. Yeah, Zay, if you've never seen the Houston-Louisville basketball game from the Final Four from that 84 NCAA tournament, Benny Anders with Houston had, like, forget Clyde, Benny Anders had the best dunks in that game. But you had, I think, Daryl Griffith, Dr. Duncanstein was in that game for Louisville. Mm-hmm. You had Clyde, Benny Anders, you know, Akeem, uh, Misha, I mean, Reed Geddes, I think, is the only one who didn't get a dunk in that game. But, and he's a big dude. Like, Reed Geddes is like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, so, that I that was a unbelievable game. It is, like, go watch it on YouTube. You can't stop watching it because of the athleticism on that floor and the dunks and the alley-oops. Like, Five Slamma Jamma had so much confidence. Like, Still to this day, I don't know how they lost that game to NC State. That that team was absolutely unbelievable. But all right, let's get to uh, we got to get to the commentary real quick before that. Brain Vault Mouthguard revolutionizing the industry because we've gone from going and getting a piece of rubber at the sporting goods store and boiling it in a pot to getting a, a mouthguard fitted by a dentist. Austin's dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T. And look, he's hiring more dentists into his practice right over there in, uh, um, you know, Northwest Hills because of the Brain Vault mouth guard. Proven, patented to reduce the effects of concussion. It's in college football. It's in the NFL. And it needs to be in the mouths of you or your competitors. If you're a cheerleader, a lacrosse player, flag football, basketball, this is the mouth guard that allows you to play hard, but play safe. Um, If you're the coach or the manager, uh, they'll do group fittings. They'll come to you to do a group fitting. Just go to brainvault.com to set that up and AV consultations, making sure that when you're ready for the big screen of your dreams, Surround sound, electronic shades, surveillance, new lighting. There's only one place to go because audiovisual consultations from the free consultation to installation, Tom and his crew bring everything to you. You don't need to go shopping. You don't need to go 
you know, borrowing a truck to lug an 80 inch TV, pounding holes in your drywall. No, just go, just call to write this down, 255-8678 and then put it on a sticky note. And when you're ready, that's the number to call avconsultations.com. And look, if you're watching games this weekend, when you watch the Longhorns, play some baseball, whatever, cover three, cover three. You got brunch on the weekends, the do-it-yourself Bloody Mary bar. You've got um, happy hour every night from 3.30 to 6.30. You can get those buffalo chicken sliders on the appetizer menu. You're getting $5 off the appetizer menu. Beef tenderloin sliders. The Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. Come on. Um, or if you're just dying for seafood, Salt Traders Coastal Cook-In from our man Jack Gilmore. Um, happy hour, dollar raw oysters, 3.30 to 6.30. All night happy hour on Monday. Come on. Some of the best food in Austin between those two restaurants right there. All right, Zay. Um, the uh, NFL Combine, the Longhorns. We're going to have a ton to talk about when we get back on Monday. Um I mean, already we Nate Wiggins, the guy I want to play corner for my Lions. Yeah, he just ran a four two nine. He ain't gonna be around for my Lions. Yeah, Ryan Watts four five three. We said he probably needed to run in the high four fours. He'll safety. Yeah. That's good for a safety. I'll take that Look, for my safety. If he, if he has an unbelievable pro day, maybe. Otherwise, he'll be a low fifth, sixth round draft pick, seventh round. Um, he could have changed some minds. Now people are going to have to project him as a safety, and that makes people nervous. That That puts you in the fifth, sixth, seventh round range because – um, you, you haven't played that position on the regular. Oh yeah. See, look at, look at, uh, Ike, look at that. Oh yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Cover two over there on 183 in Lake Creek, the Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. I go in at least a couple times a month for the Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. Um, yeah. Ryan Watts is one of the guys we aren't sure if he's going to get drafted, but NFL combine, this is a significant moment in Texas football history. Having 11 guys at the combine, uh, the most they've had since the draft went to seven rounds. Um, and the most they've ever had was eight in 2007. Uh, still guys from that 05 uh, national championship team um you know a handful of them were still in the draft in 07 but um it's a significant time and this should become more of the regular i alabama and georgia the last 10 years have had like minimum eight players uh alabama especially georgia the last few years um you know michigan has 18 players there Alabama and Georgia regularly have had, you know, between eight and 14 players at the draft. What, after 
I can't even remember, two, three years ago, Alabama had six players drafted in the first round. Um, a lot of that was, I mean, you had Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and a couple of defensive dudes. So, um, but those those players were coached by Steve Sarkeesian. I've said the offensive players will come because of him. And Sark has a great relationship with the NFL. Guys trust that his players have learned a pro offense, that they he values the same things the NFL values, speed. Um, his running backs all have to catch the football. They all have to block, obviously, in addition to just running the ball. And the NFL knows that. They love his players. Now, on defense, this is where, you know, Byron Murphy, Tavondre Sweat, recruited by Tom Herman, and great job. Great job by the Herman staff. I'm not even going to give that credit to Herman because I'm sure his assistant coaches, you know, did all the work. Herman was a guy you tried to hide in recruiting, actually. <laughs> Damn shame. It is. It's true. Um, but yeah, like assistant coaches would go with him for the in-home because they didn't want him to talk much. Um, and that's amazing, but that's, that's true. Mm -hmm. But my point is we got to see Sark and Kenny Baker now and Pete Kwiatkowski because Kwiatkowski not known as a, you know, Johnny Nansen is a recruiting machine. Like, Jeff Banks is a recruiting machine. They can talk to any player. It doesn't matter what position. Um, Kwiatkowski's like the silent assassin. I think Kenny Baker's got a big personality. If if we got to see them, this new regime, bring in those difference-making interior defensive linemen. You just heard John McClain talking about how important those positions are. The Texans, D'Amico Ryans, got to have them. Um, I remember when the Texans had DJ Reader. They got him in the fifth round out of Clemson. And I had covered that national championship. And DJ Reader was the overlooked guy with Christian Wilkins. I was like, I love this pick. And I couldn't believe the Texans let him get away in free agency. I'm like, you, you found that guy in the fifth round. You know, pay him, pay him, reward him for being a great player. And uh, anyway, you got to have those guys. And let's see if. Because Sweat and Murphy are all the talk at this at this combine, in part because the big boys on defense went first, and and Byron Murphy put on a show yesterday. But you got to keep identifying those guys. You lost a couple in the Bo Davis fallout that really hurt. Like Jamari Caldwell would have come to Texas, and he was a incredibly highly rated. Uh, defensive tackle at Houston who ended up at Oregon. Uh, you lost DeAndre Robinson. You lost the McKinley kid who had interest in Texas and is now at LSU. Um, so, and uh, my man uh, Hank South had in the insider this week that Landon Rink, the son of former Texas defensive lineman Shane Rink, uh, came for junior day. I heard he was excited about the possibility of being a Longhorn and then didn't get a single conversation with a coach and felt like they didn't want him. So he's 
taken Texas off his list. And then he came for that junior day right after Bo got let go and Kenny Baker hadn't been hired yet. Somebody needed to make sure that yeah, the defensive man. line guys were at least getting some love. Yeah, and that's – you never know what these kids were really saying or what really happened. Like, well, and, and, and it's still fixable. Like if it, if that did happen, it's still fixable. And maybe they don't, maybe they feel so good about all their prospects and the 20, you know, 25 class that they don't need to worry about it, but still guys, a legacy might want to just say, Hey, thanks for coming. Um, so anyway, that's, that's, I'm obsessed about that position because I remember Guy Morris, former coach at Baylor, former coach at Kentucky, where the, NFL Home Depot Awards, or uh, not the NFL, the ESPN Home Depot Awards. He had a punter there, uh, that kid, uh, Rodriguez, I think. He was a super punter for them back in the back in the day when um, RG3 was there. And he said, or before that, but he said, uh, Chip, I'm going to get fired. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, if I can't find me some defensive tackles, I'm going to get fired. And he said, they are like trying to find, you know, gold, like literally mining for gold in a river. He's like, that's how hard it is. And once you find them, they're the, they make your whole life better. You sleep at night. And I'll never forget it. We were, you know, talking afterward, um, just BSing it the ESPN uh, whatever bar restaurant thing on the boardwalk there. And uh, from that day forward, you know, cause guy Morris was a really good offensive lineman played on the Eagles Super Bowl team with, um, you know, Ron Jaworski back in the day and never forgotten it. Every coach I talked to talks about it. That's the, that's the money position. Texas has two of them who are going to go probably in the first 50 picks. And now you got to start making sure. I mean, the next guy could be Alfred Collins, could be Vernon Broaden, could be Jeray Bledsoe. They could be on the roster right now. Uh, Sadir Mitchell. But let's get them. Yeah. Tia Savea came in from Arizona. Yeah, Tia Savea. Let's see what, what can be done. And I'm fascinated to see how Danny Baker works and, you know, it's too early to go digging around on that because until you put those guys in pads, we'll know after spring ball what, how he teaches them, how he coaches them. That that stuff matters because, you know, Devondre Sweat was getting tired. He he thought about transferring. He he was sick of all the turnover. You know, went from Orlando to Chris Ash to Steve Sarkeesian. It was a different coordinator every year but Bo Davis got him got him going he believes in Bo Davis so does Byron Murphy you could hear that in their interviews so all right let's get to the right call from my man Zay Collier let's get it let's get it before the right call though which isn't the right call today because we got game day tomorrow so I'll be presenting you the big hat spirit Zay big hat. prediction but before all that shout out to Covert BK go down there it's Friday man everybody feeling good hopefully you got a job you got stuff to do well if you don't and you need a new vehicle go down to Covert BK so you can check that out they have been doing it doing it 
for over a hundred years and have been doing it very, very well. They provide the customers with a high quality selection of new and pre-owned vehicles, the outstanding customer service, the outstanding customer satisfaction. Check it out at Covert BK, 42 acres of the beautiful hill country, seven terrific brands to choose from, Ram, Jeep, Dodge, Chrysler, Cadillac, GMC, and Buick. Go to CovertBK.com for all the latest specials and inventory. Nobody beats a Covert deal. Not now, not ever. All right, Chip, it's time for the Big Hat Spirit Zay Call Your Prediction for the Player of the Game, brought to you by Big Hat Spirits. Hey, it's March now. January's been long gone, but you could still be doing dry March. I don't know if that's a thing. We're going to make it a thing here with Chip and Zay on Texas Sports Unfiltered because Big Hat's that special. Big Hat is that good. The margarita mocktails that you could get at your local HEB. B, got them all in the fridge. It is on point. The line like salt, the chili line to put on the rim. It just makes it even more legit. It comes with the package. You don't got to get your own. You don't have to, oh man, you know, I got to go get the salt for this and that. No, it comes with it. How many people are doing that? Not too many. Big Hat Spirits, they're doing it. The margarita mocktails, 50 calories. That is it. Zero alcohol. Kombucha sparkling water with the real fruits. It is on point. Go to BigHatSpirits.com for all your info or go to HEB and get one today. All right? Go get your Big Hat Spirits. My Big Hat Spirit player of the game prediction chip, I'm going to go with Max Asmus. Go on Max Asmus. Shout out to Mid-Range Max. He got out of that funk in the Texas Tech game. What happened to Mid-Court Max? Mid-court math, I thought it was mid-range math. Mid-court, no, that makes mid- more sense because he shoots from deep. That makes yeah. sense. There it is. Appreciate that. Appreciate that, partner. But, yeah, um, I'm going with him. Let's keep it going. You know, it's March now. You know, we're March 1st today. It is time to take our game to a whole nother level, led by a guy who has been there and done that. Yes, Dylan Mitchell, Brock Cunningham, Dylan DeSue, Tyrese Hunter, they were a part of the team last year that went to the Elite Eight, but – Hey, you got another guy on your squad that's been the man that's gotten his team. That was an underdog team, getting them to the Sweet 16. And Oral Roberts, Max Acemas, he thrives this time of the year. I thought he was terrific versus Texas Tech. I thought Rodney Terry did a great job of getting the ball out of his hands to where he could come off screens and do some different things and have some catch-and-shoot options, which led to him getting back to the -the off-the-dribble game, which what you saw at the last possession of the first half where he knocked that shot going into halftime to make it 47-23 and basically, you know, have it wrapped up for the Walcorns in Lubbock. So tomorrow, everybody's probably thinking, oh, Oklahoma State, they ain't shit. They're the worst team in the Big 12. Not so fast, my friend. Mike Bolton, he still got those guys playing very hard. One of their best players, Bryce Thompson, tore something early in the season, so he's been out for the rest of the year, and they've moved up. Colleen Ellison's own, Jamie on Keller. That dude can really go. I've been watching Keller for the last few years here in the Central Texas area. And besides our homie Mike Harge, he's the best player to come out of Killeen Ellison. Like, this dude can really go. And if you go back to their game where they blew out uh, BYU, Keller, that was his first start. He had a 20-piece. Like, this freshman has no fear. You look at Small, Small's their best player, averaging around 15 and 5. Great playmaker, really good off the dribble. Got to keep those guys locked up. You can't allow them to go crazy because they got nothing to play for. All they're playing is spoiler right now. 
You know, they're an NIT, hell, maybe a CBI team. I don't even know, but they're not making the tournament. So they're just trying to play spoiler. They're trying to see what they can do, maybe get some momentum going into the next season. Texas, hey, you still got a lot of work to do. You're not in the tournament yet. You're right there. Maybe a couple of people will have you on their bracketology, but nothing's safe. You lose to Oklahoma State, I'm putting you out. You're a first four in. You might have to go to uh, Dayton, Ohio if you don't win these games. So yeah, take care of business tomorrow. Dylan Mitchell, you got to be locked in on their uh, other freshman, big man, Daly, Daly Jr. That dude, he has a lot of potential too. I've seen him do some really good things. It's just Oklahoma State, they're not consistent, but they do have big 12 type players. Texas has to bring it tomorrow. I'm trying to see a team that's just keeping that momentum that we saw from Lubbock, from Brock Cunningham. Like, you don't have to be dirty, Brock. This isn't tech. I get it. All the, you know, testosterone and energy that brought in the tech, you could tone that back just a little bit, but I do want that same intensity all around. It's just got to be smart about it and I think they will tomorrow Caden Chedrick had a good eight minutes against Tech hopefully he, he could get you some good minutes here we know what Dylan DeSue could bring with just everything that he could do he should have mismatches because they don't have bigs for Oklahoma State that could guard him I'm sure they're going to try to double team Dylan DeSue which means Dylan Mitchell Kendall uh, Kay, um, Kendall Weaver Tyrese Hunter, all you guys have to be ready to make plays when Caden Shedrick. Come on, Caden. Yo, hey, if he could give you anything, like no Home Depot belt. If he could give you anything this time of the year, if somehow Texas could get back to that eight-man rotation, IT Horton starting now, which I don't really understand why he started, but whatever. Coach Terry started them. They won. I don't think it matters if you're going to play Kendall Weaver 31 minutes anyway. But if you could get to an eight-man rotation where all those guys are giving you just enough to move from round to round, I'll take that. That's what you need because when you play those games, Friday you win and then Sunday you play or Thursday you win and then Saturday you play, those legs, they'll start to get after guys, especially with all the games that you've played up to this point. I think the Horns should be fine if they play hard tomorrow. We'll see how it goes at 1 p.m. Love it. Love it. Daniel Sepulveda, sorry, was the punter at Baylor who won the Ray Guy Award. Um, all right, Zay. The uh, I don't know if you heard RT, Rodney Terry, today, but no. uh, it sounds, sounds like Caden Shedrick is – you know, healthy. So let's hope that that was the beginning of something because, my God, he got off to such a good start against Tech. I was pissed that they took him out. Yeah. He had like, he had like six points, four rebounds, two blocks in like five minutes. Yeah. Um, if you're not getting double teamed in the post, you got to score. You gotta yeah. be able to score because everybody else, those four other players, are just gonna hang on to their players on the perimeter. And you're and you so can play. The basket. You can play Shedrick and Dazoo together. They have big man, big men passing. I, I told you that a week ago. Right. Looking that going into the Kansas game, maybe you right. should look into playing both of those guys at the same time, not for long stretches. But for like four minutes at a time, depending on who's in on the other side, yes, play both big ones together. I get it. There was no Warren Washington. I get it. But 
let's I haven't I I'm about to do my deep dive in Oklahoma State what what's their front court look like um it's light um Daly Jr he's about 6'9 but he's a freshman they got Garrison the big man he's pretty light even though he's 6'11 you know they got him listed at 245 he ain't 245 that that brother he's <laughs> he ain't he ain't 245 he might be 225 so and Daly's yeah, built he's like Dylan Mitchell yeah, Daly and Dylan Mitchell. That's a good matchup. He's also a lefty like um, Dylan Mitchell. So, yeah, they're, when they lost Thompson, that hurt them a little bit. But when they brought on Keller, they started starting the Colleen um, Ellison product. He could go, man. He could go. Number 14, look out for him. Super athletic. Again, I remember watching him in high school last year, and he impressed me a lot. And they were like, oh, Myron? Oklahoma State. Myron Keller? Jamiron Keller. Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Jamiron Keller. Yeah, it says he's from like South Carolina. I don't know why it says that on the four letter network site, whatever. Birthplace that's different than where he grew up, I guess. He's a clean kid. And okay. Tough kid, yeah. man. Yeah, he'd go. And John Michael Wright, that dude, number 51, he's about six foot, maybe. He has some serious toughness, too. So they'll scrap. You know, they beat BYU. They needed the Oklahoma last second shot to get beat the other night in the last Bedlam game. So they're not just going to, you know, turn over and get that ass whoop. Like they're going to give Texas a fight and they're playing spoiler right now. The Horns have to win this game because we know it gets a lot tougher with Baylor and Oklahoma, your last two. Yeah. So the player for Oak State that you like the most or you think, you have to take away small is who? small yeah small with Javion small yeah he does everything for him he has great wiggle with his dribble great crossover quick and he's not just looking to score either he will dish that thing if guys try to help or step up too early he's a solid passer it's just you know they'll go through bad droughts and other teams will run it up on them you know their guards aren't big so that's where their Achilles heel could be that's why Max Acemas is my big hat spirits today player of the game prediction I think Max Acemas should be able to get anything he wants but you know they're gonna ice him you know they're gonna double him when he comes off those screens that's why it's very important for coach Terry to keep him off ball sometimes like mix it up he doesn't have to take the ball up the court every time. And if he's playing off ball, make sure we run the right screens for him coming off of those so he can get into a shot quick. Or the person that's setting those screens, y'all be ready to roll. Y'all be ready to slip and move because there's going to be a lot of attention on Max Acemas. What happened to Bryce Thompson? Injury? Yeah, he tore something. Tore something in his knee. Like, that hurt him big time because he's solid, man. Yeah, six six guard who can – Oh, yeah. He He was a Kansas guy. He was in Lawrence for a little bit and it just didn't work out with Bill Self. So he ended up going to Oklahoma State. But yeah, he was supposed to be a big oh, wow, player. right shoulder. Ouch. Torn labrum. Yeah. Man. Yeah. All right. What's your prediction for this one? Uh Horns. Tell tell people so they can go to betus.com and uh yeah, what's the line? I'm going to check that U.S. for the line. Check it. Check it. Checking. 
All right, well, but you know. Okay. Come on. I mean, I got Texas winning, but by how many? Uh, eight. Texas by eight. Texas by eight. I think it's Texas by eight. That would be or not be. (laughs) Oh my God. Where the hell is this game? Okay. All right. Texas minus 10 and a half. Yeah. I take Oklahoma State in the points. Okay. Yeah. Oklahoma State got athletes, man. A lot of them dreadhead boys, they can hoop. Athletic, fast. Yo, they threw Keller a lob against Oklahoma. And for a point guard, 6-2, he caught that thing and rocked it back and threw it down. And there was a guy hovering below him. Like, they got some serious athleticism. So, yeah, don't look at the standings in the Big 12 and think this is just going to be a cakewalk. They can make it ugly. And, again, they beat a team that Texas lost to by a lot in BYU. So I'm never one to say that that's a huge thing, but that is something to look at. So Now they got they got BYU in Stillwater. Yeah. They, they are not very good on the road, fellas. Yeah. I think well, I think one in seven on the road. So uh, that, that, that bodes well for Texas. But, Zay, to your point, I mean, anything can happen in this conference. Nothing's really going to surprise me. Yeah, Texas needs to come out and play to their own standard. Good God. The, those losses at home earlier this year to Tech and Central Florida and even the road loss at West Virginia is haunting them right now. I mean, it's it's a game-to-game proposition for Texas getting into the NCAA tournament because of those losses. So, yeah, they need to come out and play to their own standard. They're the only team in the Big 12 that has more road wins than home wins in league play. How weird is that? Now, I I get it's luck of the draw to some degree. Um, You know, Texas had to play Houston and in Austin, Iowa State in Austin, whatever. But that loss to Central Florida, that's the one. I mean, the fact that they've even come back to this point after that one and three start and how bad, not just how bad that loss was overall, how bad it looked and how they lost it. I, I give them I give them a lot of credit for even coming back from that because man, it it did not look good after that. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, but you got you got special talent in Dylan DeZoo and Max A. Smith. Those dudes are, you know, you get a six nine guy leading the Big Twelve in three point shooting and can, you know, score from all three levels and Max is just a warrior. I mean, he's number 11 all time in scoring. I get it. He's in his fifth year and those other dudes played three or four years, but it's now it's about, okay, you had great supporting help from Brock and Shedrick and Kendall Weaver against tech. Let's see it again. Sign of a well-coached team week, week improvement. If the Horns get in the tournament, this last thing I'm going to say before I let you guys take over, but if the Horns get in, let's say if they're uh, eighth seed, ninth seed, seventh seed, ten, you want them on the same side as Purdue, 
because that would be their second round if they were to win that. I take Purdue. I wouldn't want Marquette again. I wouldn't want UConn or U of H. That sounds awful. But if you were that 7, 10 seed, the second seed right now, you would probably want – God, I just had it. You would probably want Arizona. They would, they, try to, they would try to set up the Tennessee matchup. If they would try to set that up. I wouldn't like that. That's not a good matchup. Now, knowing Barnes and just how crappy he could be in the tournament, maybe. <laughs> maybe. But you're right, Marker. They would set that up. They would want to put Tennessee or, there. Just or they'd more. set up Shaka, the Shaka matchup. I mean, they got all kinds of – They got a, I don't know how A&M's playing lately. They got a potential A&M matchup they could try to set up in the first round if it works out. Yeah. Since they played already, I don't know. But they would say, you know what? Just for uh, shits and giggles, see if Texas play them again. It's hard to be a team twice. They, they probably do that too. Yeah. You know what's funny is, you know, Texas, I think before they went to Tech, was the 10, the 10 seed for the Big 12 tournament. And you're better off as the 10 seed than you are as an eight or nine, because as the 10 seed, you're not in the same half. You're not playing a second round game with Houston. I'd rather play Kansas than Houston. Yeah. Yeah. Done with Houston for the rest of the year. Done with those guys. (laughs) All right, fellas. All right, fellas. I'll be cool. See you at the birthday party tomorrow. (laughs) Have a good weekend, fellas. Doritos vodka. Let's go. Yeah, baby. Come on. Bang. Later, fellas.